Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. voice is that you cliff i'm calling from the great beyond you know i've been reading that you're dead that's not that makes sense i was wondering how we're going to do the podcast but the connection sounds pretty good from the other side yes woo is real <laughs> yeah bobo i've been reading that you're dead so apparently that is true yep i'm a goner Oh my gosh. Well, I'm sorry I missed the funeral. I'm going to miss you dearly, but it sounds like, you know, you've become some sort of force ghost or something like that. Um, so as long as you continue guiding my development and, uh, and, and acquisition of force powers, I'll be okay. My poor mother had to find out about my demise through Facebook. Oh, that's the worst. That's the <laughs> worst. Yeah. You'd think she would be amongst the first to know. Yep. Yep. How did these rumors get started? It's so funny that uh, people were actually writing to the podcast saying that you're dead and asking for verification. And when we gave the verification, no, no, Bobo's not dead. Um, and it's, well, how do we know? I said, well, listen to the podcast every week. You can actually hear his voice. I, maybe they've been thrown off because we've been doing a lot of solo podcasts. Right. Uh, that, that probably contributed to it. Yeah, but but like one one person in particular said like that we wrote back said no Bobo is not dead we know this and then and then his response was that's not what I've heard. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love this. I mean, it, it's it, it when this when it's when it's a podcast, it's hilarious. When it's politics, it's horrifying. But like just the rumor mill and the nonsense that's out there that people are more than happy to believe because because why? Because their life lacks something, they lack. Everybody's life lacks a dead Bobo, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, uh, just, they're just hoping for the best. Well, I'm super glad that all of the rumors are untrue. Go figure, uh, man. The Bigfoot community in general is more than happy to believe rumors instead of evidence. I've been running into a lot of that with the with this Freeman thing. Of course, I've ranted a few times over the last week, so I'll spare everybody. But oh, I heard this, therefore it must be true. I heard this. Well, who cares what you heard? What have you seen? What that can, You can hear Bobo. Oh, he just said he's calling from the great beyond. Yeah, okay. Well, I can't convince those sort of people, so you have to deal with it, I suppose. How have you been dealing with the fallout of your own death? Uh, a lot of counseling, uh, ketamine therapy. Oh, really? So, okay, fair enough. That's. I guess we all deal with um, death a different way. So how was your uh, weekend? Wait, you were home this weekend. Well, I was home this weekend, but I had a job in Oregon. I was down in Canby for the Oregon Bigfoot Festival and beyond. Huh. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. 
<laughs> but man, it, it was a good conference. Of course, every year these guys throw a really good conference. Um, last, well, before COVID, it was a, down at that little park in Troutdale, but they outgrew that pretty quick, you know. So they moved on to the Clackamas County Fairgrounds, um, which is a big, barren, dusty, hot place when it's 102 degrees out. But it was pretty good, and they've introduced a bunch of paranormal stuff as well. Like Jason Hawes was there from uh, uh, um, was it Ghost Hunters. Um, he's really cool. Uh, and, uh, um, and Dave Schrader, just general paranormal kind of dude. I mean, they're both really neat guys, so I had a good time hanging out with them. There's other people, too. I, their names escape me because I just met them, unfortunately, and I'm terrible at names. So hopefully hopefully uh, they'll forgive me. But I did manage to um, kind of talk to Dave Schrader about coming on our podcast, so we'll probably get him at some point. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. It was great seeing old friends. You know, um, uh, Mel Scahan was one of the main hosts. So I saw Mel and Christine. That was wonderful catching up with them. And of course, Paul Graves has been on the podcast as well as Mel. Um, he was there. Uh, Rob Alley was there talking to folks as he does. And um, yeah, just, it, was a, it was a good event. Got back in touch with a couple of researchers I've been meaning to, I've been trying to track down for a while. And I might have even got a line on Jack Sullivan. Uh, Jack Sullivan, I think, has passed away, but he was that teacher in Colton High School. That uh, um, that was so active in research in the Estacada and Colton area back in the day with Jim Hukin. Um, but he he's passed away, and I'm curious where's his stuff? Like where's his research notes? I want to see those if there's if they still exist. And all I've heard is that his son might work at a Chevy dealership down there in Colton or Malala or down that direction somewhere. But apparently somebody may have a line on um, Jack Sullivan's son, so that was very very fruitful for me. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it was, it was a good event, as usual, as usual. And a, a couple other bad things happened. I mean, it, it's a big blow to the community that uh, Mark Stenberg has passed away, unfortunately. Dude, Stenny. Yeah, yeah, Stenny. That's, uh, and just uh, right before that, we lost Brian Rios. Oh, really? Yeah, he, he passed away. That was another bummer. If I may quote uh, Mark Stenberg, oh, that ain't right. Dude, I do that all the time. <laughs> My girlfriend gets so sick of me saying that all the time. Like, there's something wrong. I go, oh, that ain't right. And she she uh, she actually met Steny once. So then she met him. She was like, okay, now I get it. <laughs> the, the guy that would say, that's what she said more than I say it. <laughs> and Mark Stenberg was was hilarious, totally funny. He's one of these guys um, who was so enthusiastic about anything he was doing at the time. He just, was just so in love with the moment that he wanted to agree with the person he was having a conversation with so much that he would interrupt the people going, oh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, oh, yeah, right, right. And then with that low, grumbly, growly voice of his. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. It was like a little sling bladeish at times. <laughs> well, you know, I, I will always remember the 40th anniversary celebration of the PG film, the Paris and Gimlin film that Tom Yammerone put on at the um, VHW Hall in Willow Creek. And um, Al Hodgson was on stage talking, and Al was a very old man even then. Um, and uh, Steny was in the audience, and 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 Stenberg and uh, and Hodgson is speaking and saying whatever he's talking about, but. There's Stenberg, you know, six rows back, agreeing verbally with everything he says. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't do that. Oh, yeah. And, and, but of course, you know, Hodgson being pretty old, you know, fairly ancient at that point and hard of hearing and stuff, he kept stopping his own presentation saying, I'm sorry, sir. What did you say? <laughs> oh, oh, never. I'm just agreeing with you. Oh. oh, okay. And then he would continue. And a few moments later, once Stenberg got back in the groove of living in the moment, he would, oh, yeah, yeah. Then, then, of course, Hodgson, I'm sorry. Did you have something to, I'm sorry, sir. What? He would, oh, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> he, he could never stop. 
He was the best and will be sorely, sorely missed. The nicest guy. I mean, the most, I mean, truly one of the most generous people I ever met. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like we're heckling him, but we're, we're, we're really not. It's just like that's the guy he was. He was so in, in love with the present moment, he couldn't help but verbally be enthusiastic about it. Yeah, and he, he'd engage with anyone that was around. Like if you're getting, you know, like clerks or waitresses or waiters, or he, and he'd always throw out some steny dad jokes. He was the king of the dad jokes. I learned everything I know from him. <laughs> oh, don't don't claim that much credit, Cliff. But yeah, and then we lost Brian too. I never actually met Brian in person, but I got to know him over the last couple of years. And his wife made sure when he wasn't able to like dial and stuff, his wife Kelly would make sure that uh, we could communicate still. And he was just an inspirational guy. He was just so positive. I mean, I just feel like such a. I, I think about him often. Like if I was like, oh man, this sucks. I'd be like, you know, I got nothing to complain about. That guy's going through hell, and he's just smiling and thumbs up and a trooper the whole way. So, buckle up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're not spring chickens anymore. You know, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more people checking out as we go. That's just the way life is. The older you get, and you know, pretty. I, I think of uh, Melissa's grandmother who just recently passed away a few months ago, and she was ninety eight. She would have been ninety nine actually this past weekend. It was her birthday, um, and she she told Melissa at some point, it's like, yeah, all my friends are dead. You know, she basically had her her younger family left, and that's it. Like, all can you imagine? All your friends are dead. You've outlived them, and it kind of reminds me of one of those uh, dark things that I kind of live by. Is like, there's worse things than dying, man. Living too long is one of them. Well, speaking of uh, passing away, by the way, again, I I listened to the Sergio tribute. It was a tearjerker, don't you think? It was it was a good tribute for the Serge. Yeah, I'm looking at all his stuff right now. His toys are still on the table and stuff like that. It's just bit too 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 fresh to clean up at this point. Yeah, we're going to be having to move soon, so we're not getting we're not going to get another bird until we know where, where we are. Yeah, and so you just leave his toys out until then. No, I mean, we'll pack them when we leave. We're, when we move, we get get uh, find out where we're living, then we'll get another bird when we can. You know, we have a for sure spot. Right. We don't want to try to be moving around. Like we might we might have to camp somewhere for a while or whatever. Live out of the little grab that little trailer and live out of that maybe for a month or two so we don't want to try to bring in a bird into a 17 foot travel trailer well you know i mean under normal circumstances i would just kind of roll with that but i'm very aware that that your travel trailer is in my outbuilding does that mean <laughs> yeah. we're going to be living in my outbuilding for a few months no, i gotta pick it up oh you're gonna move it okay just making sure just making sure you're welcome to stay for a while but you know <laughs> i wouldn't uh that'd be that'd be a little too much <laughs> uh, for all of us perhaps we're we're, we're, a, we're a quite introverted couple melissa and i so yeah so cliff we finally got it worked out with kevin and sandy uh from washington i met them filming with sam on the paranormal sasquatch documentary and i knew who they were already from his when he was on when they were on type 471 podcast when sam interviewed him and i was super impressed i've been trying to get him on since then, which is, God, probably been at least six months, I would imagine. Then I got to camp with them uh, this last uh, late spring up in Washington. We went out to their one of their spots and, again, got to interview them in person, got to spend a couple of days with them. And they're the most normal, uh, you know, they're professionals, but they have had these experiences that I find very compelling. Like, they're some of the best witnesses I've heard from uh, – this perspective and i'm gonna let them i'm not gonna try to tell you what happened to them 
they do such a good job of it. But yeah, Cliff, uh, please welcome Kevin and Sandy. Welcome, Kevin and Sandy. Hey, thank you so much. I've never been called normal before. That was quite the compliment. <laughs> well, don't get used to it. I'm on the call. <laughs> Hi, Cliff. I'm Sandy. Nice to meet you. Nice meeting you guys, too. Thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. Good to hear you're alive and well and still kicking, Bobo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Cliff, these are another, they're another uh, married couple brought together by the Squatch. Oh, really? Yep. I am also one of those. Fantastic. Yeah, Bigfoot uh, is probably the best matchmaker out there. Or the worst. I'm not sure which way. So far, it's pretty good for me. It's working out. Yep. It's been over just over five years that we met each other in a Sasquatch camp. And we just got married this year. And yeah, everything is good. And the adventure continues. Congratulations. What is a Sasquatch camp, by the way? Um, it's just a, a group of campers that have come together that are interested in learning more about Sasquatch. We're pretty a, a pretty open-minded group, like-minded group. Uh, we are out camping in their habitat. Um, it's not a large group. It's a rather small group. But we're in known habitats, and we uh, look for evidence. We are respectful and kind not only to each other but them and we just enjoy camping and and seeing what they want to share with us each time we're out it's a gift very good very good so um so bobo uh has has told me very little about what you guys are up to uh sounds pretty weird to me but I, i'm I, but despite popular opinion i do have a very open mind so um why don't you lay it on the table for us and tell us what's going on and what you think is happening here well, we, I have been, um, gosh, I only got into uh, squatching, if you accept that term, um, in 2013 when I was introduced to the idea because I have a beach house on in Ocean Shores, Washington. And my sister was staying here and she had a couple of experiences and she started doing some research, found the BFRO, they came out, did an investigation and they introduced me to Sasquatch. And I thought, well, if, okay, if they're here, then um, I want to learn more about them. So I started going to meetings, went to a couple of their camps, and then I met um, up with some local folks. And we start, I started going out squatching every weekend or as often as I could in this known habitat just to learn more about them because I didn't want to be afraid of them. Um, so that's how I got started. I was um, in the medical profession. I'm a nurse historically, was an executive director in healthcare for many years. And so I'm pretty grounded and I'm pretty black and white. But as I was looking for strictly physical evidence, which there is plenty if you are in their habitat and you're looking and you know what to look for, um, but it's a learning process. But I also had to remain open-minded because there were things that just didn't make sense in my logical little mind. And so it's gotten me to just let experiences happen. But I want to also do my research and try to weed out the possibilities of hoaxes or other animals or other interference. I just... I want to keep it real, and so I tend to research my research. And that's the only way I know to stay grounded and, and um, when I'm out in the habitat and 
and um, actually looking for more evidence of these beings. So that's where I am coming from. Kevin, where do you come from? I grew up on a um, fairly remote ranch in western Washington, and they had sightings. I didn't know what they were. They were, they were little, I call them the, the black guys. Uh, they were small, my size, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, my age, I would see these. Uh, not uh, fairly frequently during the summertime, I'd see them in the fields. I'd, uh, the closest ones, I'd see them uh, up on the porch. You know, I'd be, I'd be in the kitchen, I'd look through, you know, we have a long, long house. You could see through the windows and see them on the porch. I uh, never saw detailed descriptions, but these all, you know, head-to-toe black guys. And uh, they were kids, as far as I was concerned. And I mean, we had we had deer and cougar in the you know in the area, and so that was just part of the woods. So it was very uh, you know a very normal thing. It was not anything crazy. And then um, I had a very successful career in a in a global med tech company, and um, raised a family, and um, unfortunately got divorced. Maybe fortunately, and uh, you know my kids were were grown and out of the house. And uh, it was my time to do what I wanted to do. And what I wanted to do was squatch it because I always had this this uh, desire that I've kind of kept in the closet all the time because it was unacceptable, you know, it, you know, in the family and raising kids, you know, you want to be as normal as somebody said earlier, as you, as you can. And uh, uh, so that wasn't a big focus Then it was, then it became a focus. And uh, I started doing my own research and found out that there was, there was, other people like me, they were curious. I had no idea. I had no idea this community was out there. This forest people community was out there. You guys, Sandy, you know, all these people. And uh, so I started networking, and um, that's how I got to uh, end up meeting Sandy. And uh, even though women were the last thing on my mind, she was something special. So, <laughs> <laughs> but that's another story. And uh, and then you know once. I understood there was I, I could be in a community that I could be accepted for my beliefs. Then I started allowing these uh, encounters to, to, to believe these encounters, not cast them off. Encounters such as howls, such as footprints, such as sightings. And uh, ordinarily, I would just cast that off as all my eyes are seeing. So I'm just seeing something, but but no, it's not it's not that. And I've got an engineering background. Thirty, I just I just retired this year actually been a good year and um so so i too have been very black and white and uh my whole world has been you know very very you know grounded a grounding focus <clears throat> and so i don't i don't let any little uh noise on the recorder be a bigfoot so i kind of cast off more stuff than i probably should but i just want to make sure i'm keeping it real for myself and um it got real <laughs> i tell you what so we met each other in a uh, camp, um, and uh, we've been squatching together ever since. And we spend our summers just full of um, outings, camp outs, in different known habitats. And we do go to repeated areas um, multiple times throughout the year. So we're always looking at their uh, the Sasquatch in those known habitats. What, what is similar to others and other habitats, what is different. Um, and we have different kinds of experiences in different camps. We may have more 
paranormal in one camp. We might have more physical in the other. Uh, we may see more prints in one area, less in another. We may get audio. We may get more snaps and pops and, I don't know, tree wax. But yeah. anyway, um, and other others may be vocal and other areas may not be. So it's very interesting just to look at the similarities and the diversity in the uh, in their within their culture in the different habitat areas. Do you find that there are similar uh, behavioral like there's consistent behavioral um, attributes no matter where you go? I would say they, um, well, yes, they're elusive, definitely. <laughs> you know, um, some are some are more interactive than others. Some may vocalize a little bit more or not at all. Some seem more shy. Some, the more you go to an area and they know you, the more they are, I think, accepting of you. I think for us, the difference is how we approach our camp. We actually go in with mutual respect and consider it an honor to be in their area um, within their forest habitat. We um, try to, what's a good word? We try and use the same techniques in each camp where they know where we are, what we're doing, why we're there, uh, because we we are predictable. That's a good word. We're predictable. So what sort of uh, evidence have you collected? We've collected foot casts, hand casts, um, print. a number of them. Um, we think we have uh, Sasquatch feces. Uh, one of our group members has uh, found this humongous uh, feces. Anyway, so um, we have knee knee cast. We've got um, we've got audio vocals. Is there a place that I can go, or our listeners could go, to see some of this stuff and weigh the evidence for ourselves? Um, we don't publish anything online. We just we, it's in the closet. <laughs> it's downstairs. Literally, literally. we moved but, we moved the Christmas stuff out so we could store our prints in a, yeah. a climate controlled environment. <laughs> we have taken um, uh, some of them to the um, Ocean Shores Sasquatch Summit uh, and done a you know did a display there. We're going to be up at uh, Marble Mount in the end of August. Oh, we've done um, just a couple conferences and always take our casts and such with us. Well, maybe I can do a job at some point and you'll be at the same job and maybe I can put my own eyes on it. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Sonidos of our music. Sonidos of our voices. Sonidos of our stories. Listen to the sounds and voices of Latin music and culture with Pandora stations like RMX, La Vida en Pop, El Pulso, and Satellites, and podcasts like Ruby Rosa and more. From music to stories, all that we are is in the sonidos of our culture. Listen now on Pandora.
So you've been working these spots for quite a while. Um, I'm assuming that the relationship, so to speak, has changed over time um, between you and any of these particular various groups of Sasquatches that uh, I believe you've been encountering. So how did it start and where's it gone is kind of my, my, uh, my, my question for you. Well, for me, it has started out very slowly. Um, I started out with going to a known habitat where there had been sightings. That was within an hour of my home. I lived in Tacoma area at the time. And I started doing gifting because I thought that's what you're supposed to do is gift. So I would start trying to uh, gift. Uh, I had three different spots in the lower Cascades that I went to. I ended up buying more groceries for them than I did for me. And um, it got to be a bit overwhelming, so I tightened that up a little bit. But at the same time, I was trying to build some sort of a relationship with a being that I didn't really know if it existed, but... You know, my sister had experiences, and so I want to believe my sister. She's credible. Um, and so I wanted to learn as much as I could. So I started laying the groundwork and going back up as often as possible, hiking by myself. And then I actually saw one uh, in October of 2013. Um and I didn't care to ever see one again because my whole reality shifted. Um, what was myth was now reality. And my paradigm shifted to the point that I was quite fearful of being in the forest because this individual was so large. Um, I had an excellent view of him. Give us a story on that, Sandy. I went to, I had gone to a meeting, a Sasquatch meeting in Puyallup and and there was a Native American sitting across the table from me, and he said, so where do you go squatching? And I told him uh, in the Lower Cascades where, and he said, well, um, have you ever been up to this Forest Service Road? It was a uh, 73 road, I think. Um, uh, anyway, and I said, well, no. And he goes, well, there's an area up there called Skookum. Um, there's a Skookum Trail, Skookum Creek area. And I said, no, I hadn't been up there. And he said, well, you know, they don't call it Skookum for nothing. So I said, well, maybe I'll check it out sometime. So I'm up doing my gifting rounds. And I thought, well, it's, you know, it's still daylight. It was early uh, October. And I thought, well, I've got a few minutes. So why don't I run up to the 73 road and see what I can find? So I drove in on a Forest Service road totally missed this little tiny sign that said Skookum Falls Trail. And um, he said that I would see a creek um, next to the road. And so I was driving along on this Forest Service Road, had no idea where I was going. It was early evening, uh, still light out. And what the, the creek actually looked like a river to me. And I thought, well, this is odd. There must be some other little creek around here. I must not be on the right road. So I'm still driving five miles up. I come into some alders, a grove of alders. And I think they're beautiful. They're all white. It's gorgeous. The sun is um, just going over the hill. It's still light out, and as soon as I reach this grove of alders, I see this dark individual standing off the side of the road, the dirt road. 
And I'm like, oh my God, what is that? That can't be. And then I'm like, what the hell? And a lot of things came out of my mouth. But um, as I slowly coasted to this individual, he froze and was just standing there in clear view. I saw him down to his hips. He had excessively large, broad shoulders, dark because the sun was behind him. So I didn't see a lot of a lot of great detail in the face, but I knew he was very um, broad and the shoulders were so huge. And um, he was very chiseled. That was my word. Um, He was extremely chiseled. Um, I never thought about picking up my camera, which was sitting on the uh, passenger seat. I just coasted by this individual. I saw it in the windshield. I saw it out my passenger window, and I turned and saw it out the back passenger window before a small fir tree um, blocked my view from him. I never even thought about putting my brakes on. I was just in disbelief. I couldn't believe that it was really real. And then I stopped the car. I went back, and this dark individual was now gone. There were no stumps, absolutely nothing. The creek was behind him. Um, He was standing in some bushes. That's why I saw him to his hips. I I had followed the the broadness of his shoulders, and I followed his arms down, never saw his fingertips, saw daylight between his body um, and his arms. And just for the sheer size of him, I figured it was a him. Um, I didn't see any breath, but again, the sun was behind him. So I went back and forth several times. I never got out of the car. I would never get out of the safety of my own vehicle. And then I kind of just, he wasn't there. So I just moved along, went a little further, kept checking my rear view mirror to see if he crossed the road at all. And he never did. Um, Finally, it was getting quite dark and I was like I need to get the heck out of here nobody even knows where I'm at so I turned the car around and and came back down um and I never even thought about my camera until I got to the Tacoma Dome on I-5 and I was like holy hell my camera was sitting right there (laughs) so I went home and I called Scott Taylor and told him what I had seen and experienced And he was like, well, congratulations, you saw your first Sasquatch. And I'm like, I don't feel very celebratory. I feel actually quite scared. And everything I thought was a myth is now reality. And I was pretty traumatized by it all. And so I didn't want to go back in the forest by myself. The next day, I talked to a friend of mine in uh, Missouri, and he was like, Sandy, you need to go back and check for evidence. And I go, no, I don't need to do anything. (laughs) And he's like, well, you know what you saw, but if there's any evidence to corroborate what you saw, wouldn't you want to find it? And I was like, dang it. Yes, that's what I'm doing out here. So I talked myself into going back out. And I figured if I was out of the woods at 6 o'clock, because that's before 6, that's when I saw him. I was like, if I get out of the woods before 6 o'clock, that was the witching hour for me. 
And so I went back up. I took measurements. It was 30 feet from the edge of the road, down this little embankment, across this little teeny tiny creek stream. Um, He was standing by this bush. I flagged it, found a partial print. Um, Beyond him was this creek slash river because it was really raging that time of year. And I thought, okay, I need to get out of here. So I collected what I thought was good evidence. I had my measurements. I had pictures. And home I went. And I knew I wasn't going to go back in the forest by myself. So um, it took a little bit of time. And I decided that either I need to go back in the forest or I would never go back. So I went back one afternoon and I hunkered down behind a log down where I'd seen him um, and just waited to see if he was coming back to get another drink or whatever he was doing. I have no idea what he was doing down there. But at, you know, 6.03, I was in the car and back on the road. I wasn't wasn't sticking around. So, um, and then from then on, I would take um, a friend's dog with me. Uh, out in the forest because I felt, you know, they see, hear, and smell everything before I do. And I felt more comfortable having that dog with me than being out there by myself. So, and then as I regained my composure, I uh, started going, I found a group and we went, started a camp group and uh, started going camping in this habitat. Um, I also had ran into a gentleman that did hypnosis, and I made an appointment, ultimately made an appointment with him to go under hypnosis in Oregon. What was his specialty? Uh, Hypnosis. He was interested in Sasquatch and the paranormal, but I don't know what his specialty was. You're talking about Doug Meacham. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I I just saw Doug last week, actually. Not, Not for like an appointment or something, but I saw him at a social event. Well, I made an appointment, <laughs> and, and I drove down to Gresham, and I met him, and uh, went through a session with him, and I just wanted to know if my subconscious knew more than my than I remembered consciously, and yes, there was more detail, and I appreciate that I I did that just so I could draw out more detail um, of my experience. So I knew that I had seen the individual longer than I had thought. I had seen the front of this individual, not the back. Um, I could see that it had large brow bones, cheekbones. His chest was very, he was chiseled. It was chiseled. Um, he was muscular. Um, and it was, um, it was a very worthwhile session. And I did record the session. He allowed me to record it as well. So, but again, it brought back all that emotion of seeing him for the first time. And, um, but I don't regret it. I, I'm glad I actually went and was hypnotized. Well, I love, I love what I'm hearing. I, I love what I'm hearing um, because you're out there, you're taking measurements, you're going back to look for physical evidence. You're trying to cast whatever impressions you find. Um, I, I love all of that. So congratulations to you. That's heads and shoulders above the vast majority of Bigfooters who are just out there for the story and uh, to relate their experience to others so they can uh, be in 
so other people will be in awe of them. But you're actually out there trying to get to the bottom of it by collecting evidence. And, and um, hopefully, uh, well, I know you're sharing it at the at where you go and whatnot, but I sure would like to see that stuff someday. So fantastic. G- kudos to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. But their story, you can't, I mean, wait till you hear the story, Cliff. The click story is amazing. Do you need to build up to that a little bit more first or? Well, I, I don't know that we really need to do build up too much to it. I mean, we're, we're campers. We go to the same habitats repeatedly each year. Um, Kevin and I have had some great experiences together. We've been together now just over five years. Um, and click. Uh, was just uh, uh, an experience that neither of us ever expected had, or, or could have imagined. <laughs> yeah, had no idea that that was possibly a form of communication, but it was communication with a being that seemed to understand what we were asking and would answer. And we knew that there was a pattern of communication in the answers with this individual. Um, and so, gosh, it was back in uh, 2018, May, middle of May in 2018. And we were in a, uh, at a camp out in the Lower Cascades. And yeah. I'll just set it up. We were doing a really poor uh, drumming session. It was a horrible drumming session. None of us were, could keep a beat or the same beat. It was just making a bunch of racket. And so finally, one of our campers, who is a drummer, said, you know, maybe we could all just start with a simple beat and just, you know, just everybody drum together. And so it ended up being a lovely drumming session. And um, and finally, I Kevin had gone to bed early because he wanted to do an early morning get-up. He likes to get up early um, before they um, possibly are rounded up to go home or wherever they go. A couple hours before uh, first light is a good time to be out. Yeah. And I was irritated with all the the way the drumming was going, so I went to bed early. (laughs) Yeah. So finally, I end up going to bed, and we are um, just down like a, a game trail off in the forest. And, um, this is not a, you know, people go up there and camp, but we were off in the forest and like, down a yeah, we, trail. we distance ourselves uh, yeah. from, from most of the group. And I had heard that there was a bear scene in the area and like, I heard a lot of, uh, rearranging going on in the forest and I thought, oh great, this bear's out there somewhere, not far from our tent. Oh great. Um, but I thought, well, you know, bears, they usually go the opposite way. We don't keep food or anything in our tents and or anything like that. And we had no idea uh, that we were about to have a possible encounter with uh, individuals. Uh, and, and truly, we didn't have eyes on them. So we don't know 100% that it was uh, Sasquatch children. But um, what in researching our research, once we got home, we have learned that clicking is an early form of communication between mothers and children or infants. They evidently learn to click, but we had no idea. So um, I thought that was fascinating, and I heard that from several different people that have lived on 
farms or habituated them or had them as, you know, around them their whole lives. And I thought that was fascinating. But we didn't know that until after we had this experience. And um, I had just I had just started to doze off when Kevin started nudging me and uh, because he was hearing something. So I'll let Kevin go from there. Yeah, I was I was already asleep a little bit, so it was easy to wake me up. And uh, as she was dozing off, I heard we had a gifting area, I'd say 35, 40 yards from, from the tent. And uh, part of that included marbles. And I think the very first thing I heard was, you know, when you roll marbles in your hand and it makes that kind of smooth, but, but uh, I don't know what it is. You know, ball bearings, when you roll them in your hands, got that very distinct. I was hearing that. I was hearing that. It was like, what the, what is that? And um, I started hearing a, uh, a couple of clicks. One was high pitched, one was low pitched. And then all of a sudden, I'm on full, full alert. I don't know what I'm listening to. I have no frame of reference. I'm not thinking fast at this point. But, but there's definitely something out there by the gifting area. And, uh, the clicking was as if they were communicating with each other. It sounded like one was older, one was younger, uh, perhaps male, female, but more like, more like one was older, one was younger. You could tell the difference the voice signature was different. And, uh, then they came closer and you could hear the click was slowing down between the two of them and they came closer and the clicking between was slowing down more. And I'm really, I'm really honing in on this. I mean, I'm, I'm wide awake, eyes open, pitch black, you know, facing the tent wall, you know, three inches away from me, but I can't see anything. But it's like, it's like, I, I'm, I don't know if either of you guys are hunters, but when you're on, when you're in that zone, it, it's, it's a zone like no other. You just, it, it's a focus. It's an unbelievable, hypersensitive focus. You sense everything, temperature, uh, temperature of your eyebrows, the top of your face, the bottom of your face, you just sense everything. And I was in that zone. And then I could hear the uh, older one come closer. The, the younger one stopped as it approached the tent um, 15 yards. It, uh, and I've played football before, so I, I know my yard is pretty good. And so I figured he was like at 15 yards, the younger one stopped at that point, never heard him again. And the older one came closer and closer, you know, click, you wait 30 seconds, click again. At this point, I'm waking up Sandy and I go, do you hear? And she goes, clicks. And it's like, okay, she knows she's into it too. And this thing came in too. We had, you know, we, we car camp. So we have these, these, uh, plastic Tupperware bins that we haul stuff in and put them on the back of the tents, so, you know, just to, just to keep it out of the way. And, um, so, but this thing was between the Tupperware bin and the tent wall and, and you could hear them right there. And it got to the point where, uh, we were so close. You, you could just sense he was right there. You know, when somebody comes up from behind you and you don't know it, but you sense it, that's, that's the feeling it was. I could just tell he was right there. And, uh, and, and the clicking of course was, was, you know, right there as well. And it was just a, just a, you know, with your, with your tongue on the roof of your mouth. But that's what it sounded like. And um, we, we started whispering to each other, what, what, what do we do now? <laughs> and, and, and Sandy goes, well, you know, talk to him. Talk to him. And so I started talking to him and, 
and the clicking stopped. And then, and then we kind of whispered, you know, what do we do now? And then I started, I started, um, uh, just engaging, just say, you know, introducing myself, introducing Sandy, not knowing, you know, figuring this might be SAS. We're in SAS territory. I don't know if this is SAS or not, but assuming it is, uh, let's go with it. And so, um, so we introduced ourselves. I told them that, you know, we're here in their, you know, in their home, just as a, as a brief visit, you know, we'll clean up after ourselves. We leave no trace. And, uh, we just wanted to have the experience and, uh, you would hear a click or a click, click sometimes. And then it got to the point where I said, uh, you know, I really like your voice. Can I call you a click? And there's an immediate click. And it was like, okay, cool. And so we started at that point, we started asking questions and of which nothing happened. And, um, it was like, who are you? You know, where, <laughs> where do you come from? Um, yeah. Nothing happened. It was just dead calm at that point. And so I figured, well, let's try closed ended questions where it's either a yes or a no. And so we, so we did that. And, um, let's say, do you live here? For example. And, um, he would click and I go, do you have family here? Click. And anyways, it, it, it ended up, we, we kind of, it, it was awkward. You know, I never prepared for anything like this, but we worked it out to where it turned, it, it seemed like when you hear an immediate click as a response, it was a yes answer. If you had no click, it was a no answer. And there was a delay click. And that meant, uh, maybe, I mean, that's, that was the interpretation we came away with. And I would ask, do you have a brother? Because I heard that initial click, you know, the, the younger one that, that, that started but never continued. I go, do you have a brother? Click. Do you have a sister? Silent. Um, and then he would repeat the question. So you have a brother? And it would click. And then he would say, are you a boy? And it would click. Are you a girl? And there would be silence. So you're a boy. And it would click. Trying, trying to confirm, making sure this is not a possum because a possum will click. So trying to, trying to eliminate whatever else could be out there. But, but that was an intent that was intentional. I did a, a, you know, kind of a double blind thing right there. The first time I would repeat myself intentionally, but then it, you know, later in this, this, this whole event lasted over two hours. Okay. Two hours. And, um, I left the tent at one point, came back and, I didn't know what else to ask. And so I just mistakenly started asking the same questions, but the answers were the exact same every single time, every single time. There was no, there was no, um, answer that was not, that was incorrect after I said it one, two times, three times, the original, the double. And then an hour later, I would, I would ask the same question and, and they would answer the same answer every single time. So he asked things like, you know, do you have a brother? And it would click. Do you have a sister? It was silent. So you have a brother and it would click. Um, he asked, um, it was interesting because we named him. Well, he said we could call him click. Um, he wouldn't talk to me, uh, but he would talk to Kevin and Kevin has this lovely, calm, deep voice and, um, and just slowly talk to him. And um, so he would say, how old are you? And there were two clicks. And then there was a slight pause and another click. So it was like, are you two or three? 
and the little individual would click, click. So then he'd say, so you're two and you're a boy, and it would click. Yeah, and I'm assuming that's years old, but I don't know what their reference is. No so I, I don't know if that was a good one. But whatever, whatever I asked, the response was the same. This whole thing happened, I guess, the first 20 minutes. And then, and then you could hear him get up and, and go to the corner of the tent. We're, we were in a, in a four-sided tent. And when he first came up by the, uh, the big Tupperware box, you could tell he was about, the initial clicks were about a five-foot height. And when he came down to the Tupperware, right, right by the tent, he was down low, like, like just above. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sleeping on the ground, and he was just barely above me, eight inches maybe. And then at some point, you could hear him get up, and he was at the five foot level on one corner of the tent. And we're on a game trail, which is not a smart place to put a tent, but it was wide, and we did it anyway. So you know. That, that's on me. That's not just, you know, for, as far as camping goes, that's not a smart move, but I did it. And um, one of the drummers from the from the drumming session, in fact, the only guy that had a tent beyond us uh, was walking by at the time. And he had his headlamp low. He knew we were there. And so he didn't want to flash us with his headlight. So he was flashing his headlamp low and going the other way. And uh, he walked right by the tent. We're on the trail. It's small. It's narrow. Walked right by the tent, and Click was standing there within arm's reach of Mitch. And Mitch never knew it. Walked right by it. The guy was right there. Uh, five minutes. I mean, there's long delays. There's, you know, five minutes after after Mitch walked by, you could hear him click again. So it was like, it was like he, it was, it was, that was bizarre. He was so close, so close, and uh, Mitch never knew it. So he walked to the, other corner of the tent and you could hear him click there. And we had more questions that we asked. I don't know if you have any of the questions there. She's got the journal up and we're kind of reading the journal because there was so much going on. Well, it was there just to start the conversation too. It was like, you know, I used to gift apples. So, and, um, so he, Kevin asked, you know, do you like apples? There was a click. Would you like an apple with click? Um, and it's, it's like, okay, we'll leave one in the hammock for mm-hmm. you. Kevin had a hammock hanging between two trees out there. Um, and so, and we just whispered to each other, trying to figure out, you know, the, the type of communication we were having. We agreed on the yes, the no, the possible, or maybe, or maybe he just didn't understand what we were asking. Mm-hmm. Even. So we started with the apple thing after we got through the, the brother, sister mm-hmm. uh, questions. Uh, would you like to bring an apple for your brother or us to bring an apple for your brother? Click. So he clicked once. Should we leave the apples tomorrow? And there was silence. Should we leave the apples before morning? And he clicked once, which was kind of an interesting question. Um, And so Kevin agreed before the other campers got up, he would get some apples and leave them in the hammock. And then there was a point when you asked him, you know, can you see me through the tent? I can't see you, but can you see me? That was, that was. And, and there was silence. Okay. And then um, there were several times, and we don't know what this light phenomenon is, but there was right. a dull white light that would shine on the roof of the tent. Um, so it was, it was like, it was glowing. It wasn't a focused bright light but it was just the, the glow. tent glowed don't know what that is we still don't know what the light phenomenon is haven't 
But anyway, it was part of our experience that we documented it. And the, and the sparkle lights? The sparkle lights that filled the ceiling of the tent when they approached. Mm-hmm. Um, again, don't know the affiliation, but it was there, it so seemed, we documented it. It, it seemed like, it, it looked like you were looking at the stars, but we were in a tent with a rainfly. Yeah. And do we have the rainfly on? We did. Yeah. yeah. And it was May, so we had to have. And then over Sandy, the sparkle lights were yellow. Over me, not bright. I mean, just just dull glow. But over me, it was it was like a, you know a, a gray, kind of a kind of a gray white. Yeah. So and then there was a, a point where um, you asked um, if he wanted to touch you through the tent. Remember that? Well, that was that was after. That, hang on, we we left the tent two times. Wait. Um, I don't know if it was after that because he repositioned himself, and then I think you had that experience, and then because he was behind the tent already when you left the tent, and I kept saying hide, click, just hide. So um, maybe maybe the sequence is not important here, but but. Um, the idea of you asking him, you know, I can't see you. Can you see me? That if was, I put my hand up against the tent, mm-hmm. do you want to touch? Right. Tell him what happened then. He went all the way. <laughs> he went from, you know, corner number two to corner number three, where you could hear him at the five-foot level. Corner number three by the door, and then you could hear him uh, get down low. And this was the tent wall where our heads were. Um and I had my, I was laying down with my arm, you know, reached out over my head. So my arm is up against the tent wall and, and he was right there. And I hate using this analogy, but it is so accurate. If you remember the tension that build that built up before your very first kiss, that's what it was like. It was just this intense buildup where I said, you know, if you want to, you can touch my hand. My hand is right here on the tent wall. If you want to touch my hand, it's okay. And for like five minutes, there was just this burning, intense, sweaty tension between us. And and um, so I'm talking, you know, calmly and smoothly. I got my hand up against, I got my hand spread out, you know, fingers spread out. And he, I felt something poke me between my fingers. That didn't touch me, but it was in between my, the, you know, the, the two fingers, your, you know, your ring finger and your, your F U finger. finger, middle finger. Thank you. <laughs> Keep it you guys are nurses and professionals. It's clearly called the F U finger, right? Let's, let's be scientific and professional about this. That's right. That's right. Never touch me, but you could feel it between my fingers. I mean, you could feel You could feel the fabric in between. And I started giggling. I'm, I'm whispering to Sandy, he did it, he did it, he did it. As, as I'm doing this to Sandy, he does it a second time. And, I mean, it was, it was like, this is absolutely unbelievable. And, uh, but I wasn't thinking at the time. I was in awe at the whole time. I wasn't, I wasn't all excited, like, this is happening kind of thing. It was more like, it was like just keep it going, man. Just keep it going. It's, this is, you know, you, you're, you're on a roll. It's like you just you just go with it. You just go with the moment. There's no there was no really excitement or fear or emotion other than keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. And then um, at one point there was a uh, camper uh, at a distance, but 
but she was, um, and one of the rules in camp is you don't, you don't shine your flashlight into the woods, into the trees. And somebody was, was hitting this flashlight all over the place and you could see it on the tent. You could see the, the, uh, uh, the branches shadow. And this is not, this was nothing like the glow that we saw earlier. It was very obvious. Somebody was like, flashlight and I was just pissed because it was you know destroying the moment and so so I spoke out loud I said click I'm going to go correct this I know you don't like this I don't like this I'm going to go talk to one of the campers you're going to hear the zipper of the tent unzip I'm going to step out I'm going to close it I said you stay here with Sandy I'm going to go stop this and I'll come back I just want I just I just spelled out every single moment as if as if you were explaining it to a young child what you're doing you're just stepping out you're going to come back this is what you're going to hear so that's what i did stepped out talked to the campers came back within it took a while 10 15 minutes he started up again once we were back in the back in the tent it, it had been like 10 minutes because at that point it was getting late sandy had to go to the bathroom and uh, we were debating we heard him. We still we heard him clicking at that point. I mean, we were doing some kind of a mm-hmm. you know simplistic conversation, and uh, but but Sandy had to go to the bathroom and it's like she can wait. No, we can't wait. Yeah, we should. We should. You know, we're already up. We already messed up our our moment here, and the moment we made the decision, not out loud, but in our heads, and I've had this experience multiple times. Once the decision in my head is made, you will hear a response from them. I, I just had this what, uh, three days ago, we were camping in the Willapa Hills. Had the same thing. That's a different story. But but the point is, you don't have to say a thing. You don't have to make a move. Once the decision in your head is made, they'll respond to your decision. We made the decision to go to the bathroom, to step outside the tent. He was caught off guard in front of the tent, and you could hear him pivot. You could hear a, it, it sounded for the world like a person on a foot pivoting in the, in the, on the ground, as if, as if they had to make another maneuver. Now I didn't hear a maneuver off, but there was definitely the, the, the pivot noise you could hear. Again, we spoke out loud, you know, we're going to step out of the tent. We're going to relieve ourselves. We're going to come back. We did that and came back. And for a second time, after we reentered the tent, 10 to 15 minutes later, the conversation continued. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Kevin was like, click, are you still here? And there was one click. And so we were pretty excited that he had waited for us. Yeah. And, and that was a time, that, at that point, I forgot all the previous questions. I didn't know what else to ask. You know, I would have, he wouldn't talk to Sandy, so I had Sandy, you know, feed me questions that I could ask. And a lot of them were the same questions. And every single one of those answers were the same as before. But we also asked what you Oh, asked. yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you a Sasquatch? Yeah. Uh, it was silence. Are you a forest person? Silence. Are you an alien? Sasquatch. Are you a Bigfoot? And there was a pause and a real soft click. Like, well, maybe. <laughs> there was. So after each question, like, you know, are you the Sasquatch? Are you a forest person? Are you alien? There was this silence. Well, you give it a good long wait. Yeah, there was just silence. Mm -hmm. And then when we, he asked, are you a Bigfoot? There was a pause and there was was a soft click. And I started giggling 
because I thought, what is he doing, looking at his feet? <laughs> I was like, this little guy is looking at his feet going, well, Mama says I have good feet. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. So, so then Kevin says, so you like to be called a Bigfoot? And he clicked. He didn't mind it, I guess. Um, so I'm not sure that it was responding to the name, but probably the size of his foot, possibly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But he seemed pleased. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Kevin started asking things about his appearance. Um, do you look like me? There was silence. Do I look like you? There was silence. Have you talked to a person like me before? And he clicked. He clicked. How about that? Well, I wonder who it was. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I wonder too. And then he said, have you talked to a person like Sandy before? And Meaning, was, uh, my, my reference is a female. Yeah. And there was silence. And I was just like so downhearted. I was like, darn it. <laughs> and, so you, and then you asked again. So you talked like a man to a man like me and he would click. Mm-hmm. So it was, again, repeating the question mm-hmm. that he had already asked, just, but just to reaffirm the answer. So that was great. Yes, yeah, that's, that's uh, one of the only times I've ever heard where they prefer a male over a female. Well, remember, he's a young, young. We took the young person, a young guy. So looking, so that, looking up to his father. Yeah. So I, I mean, I don't know, but whoever whoever was outside the tent seemed to be intimidated by possibly a female. Yeah, they intimidated so, the hell out of me. What are you talking about? <laughs> so then you started talking about the environment and where he lived. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. And so I said, I asked, do you live here? And there was a click, yes. In this valley, there was a click. Even when it snows, yeah, a click. And I said, and this is, this is memorable. I go, do you like the snow? There was a pause and then a soft click. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think he's a big winner guy. And then you repeated that question. So you have talked to a man like me in this valley and there was a click. So that was a compilation of two questions. Right. And it was the same answer click. Yeah. yeah so um, the next morning we actually started looking around the tent to see if we could find any evidence of who was out there. And there was a nine inch footprint uh, that was found off the corner of the tent um, just off of the entry tarp where he, when he had gone around, he had stepped in the dirt and left a, a, a five-toed print, and it was nine inches long. And then we looked down over the hillside. Um, when he left that night, um, you, he was clicking as he was going down over the hillside. And so he looked off into the duff, and there were more prints in the duff that were the same size. So we felt like that was pretty credible evidence as to who we were talking to. Um, We had gone around our tent while we were setting it up. Um, We don't walk out there barefoot. Nobody else does. So we knew that um, we had pretty credible evidence as to who we were probably talking to during the night. Yeah. Whoever we were talking to had footprints. That nine inch by the corner of the tent was exactly where I heard that pivot. When we made the decision to leave the tent earlier, that's where that's where I heard it, and that's where we saw the nine incher. Yeah. So there you go. You know, it it was just a, a wonderful experience with some little individual out there, 
but we never saw the individual. We don't know for sure that it was a little Sasquatch. I'm pretty sure a raccoon or a possum or a bear would not stick around after we left the tent and came back two different times. Or answer repeated questions. Right. right. Like it acknowledged what mm-hmm. we were saying or what mm-hmm. we were asking and would answer the same. Mm-hmm. They don't have... No. I, I don't think they understand that ability. So, so when you know what it's not, then you have to be open to the possibility of what it is. And the only animal that we could find later on that does clicking was a possum. But again, it was repeated questions. Um, there were the sparkled lights in the tent, the glowing outside, the touching through the tent wall. So I doubt that that's a possum. I've mm-hmm. seen them, have them in my yard, but they've never inter- interacted with me before. <laughs> so, so I don't think that it was the possum. But all of those things align to what you think a Sasquatch does. Well, not knowing, but when I when we got home, I started reaching out to people that had grown up with them and started asking questions, saying, you know, what's what's a form of communication for them? We've we were seemingly having a conversation with a being, a, a young being, and is it is this a type of communication that you have heard or experienced? when they were on your farm or you lived amongst them on the farm. And I talked to two different habituation situations and they both said, well, yes, clicking was an early form of communication between the mom and the baby. um, And I don't know who else, but it was behavior that they had witnessed. So then it made a little bit more sense to us and and it was even though they were open ended cl- uh, questions, okay. it seemed to or no closed closed. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. closed ended uh, yes or no questions. It seemed to understand what we were saying or asking, and it was repeated. And it stayed long enough to continue the conversation. Right. And to be fair, it was midnight. It was we were in the tent. We saw nothing other than lights. Mm-hmm. Um, the scan, I never talked about the scanning, but anyway, yeah. uh, and it is in an area where there's been multiple sightings. Sandy actually had a sighting there, I think it was a year after, within 50 yards of the, the, the yep. morning mm-hmm. sighting, within 50 yards of where our tent was, um, and her big guy sighting, the chisel chest guy, that was within a couple miles, maybe longer, right. uh, just a few miles from there. So there is known forest people, sightings, daylight sightings there. Even though we saw nothing, uh, our only conclusion, well, probably the biggest conclusion would be it would be forest people. Now, if there's forest people, there could be other entities out there. I don't know, but there was definitely a intellect that was out there that was able to communicate with us. I mean, it was without question a communication. Exactly who it was, I can't tell you that. So the um, the clicking event that was that was probably uh, well, that wasn't the last time you went there. You said it was in 2018, I think. You've been there since. Um, has that sort of activity continued, and uh, if, or or not, or is that the end of it? Or what, what are your thoughts on there? What, what's the what's the final resolution of that? 
Well, I think um, we have been back there. We go back there each year. And there was another year that went by and we went back and we started to hear clicking again. And, um, but it didn't progress to the point that we had had all this conversation with click earlier. Um, it was very, we just heard clicking coming up, uh, on the tent again and we both identified it. We were camped in the same place on the same trail. Um, and then, um, we were interrupted, I think by a car alarm again. And we were like, holy cow. And so that was the end of that. By the time we got settled back, there was no further uh, experience with that. And we haven't had any experience with clicking since. Not even at the other camps that you mentioned. You said you had several places that you've gone. Interestingly enough, we have a camper that has hearing aids. And he has, at different camps, including this camp, he will hear, with his hearing aids on, not with them off, but he will hear clicking very, very similar to what we described, almost like exactly what we described. And he never hears it uh, anywhere else. He's, you know, from Oregon. And he'll come up, he says he never hears it any other time except at, at, at two different camps that we frequent, which I don't know if it's the same thing, but it's, it's, um, it's it, it, uh, interesting uh, um, similarity. But as far as as far as the clicking that we have experienced, um, no, I don't think so. But and you're continuing in this. You're continuing going out all the time, of course. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we've been out. You said you were out three days ago. In fact, earlier. Yeah, we got married on June 11th, and we've been on four five day <laughs> five day trips since then. And so we we still have the trailer that we have to unload. The truck is still dirty. So we're, I mean, make hay while the sun shines. We're in the Northwest, so it's hard to go out when it's cold and rainy in the winter. So we're we're just, you know, on full bore right now. Um, we just had to uh, cancel a uh, an event for next week, the next time. So we've got we've got two weeks. We haven't been home for two weeks. I'm surprised our dogs know us at this point. Um, <laughs> but we'll be uh, we're going out to North Cascades at the end of august uh going to uh, yakima county early september and again late september and uh we're going to chelan county in early october also where i camped with these guys this past spring was the gnarliest stick structure it, came, it was like unbelievable it's going to be in the documentary you'll see it but it's uh the most incredible thing i've seen in the sasquatch associated I am so glad you got a chance to see that, Bobo. That is not something you see every day. That That is, I, I'm really glad you got a chance to see that and, and able to share it because that's that's absolutely incredible. You can, you can describe it, but uh, that's like a once-in-a-lifetime thing for sure. Well, generally speaking, watching a Bigfoot documentary is most of the last things I would ever want to do. But since you're involved in this, Bobo, I will definitely watch it. And I'm looking forward to seeing that. Well, thank you guys for having us. I really appreciate you uh, giving us the time to tell our story. and and. Uh, you know, we're not, uh, all we want to do is, is learn more for ourselves. This is a self-education thing and, and we're learning a ton. So, um, but, but I appreciate you taking the time and, and, um, letting, letting us, letting us share. Yeah. 
Yeah, we thank you so much. And I really look forward to seeing these footprint casts and whatnot. Um, uh, the, the other impressions, you know, that, cause that would, that's, that's meaningful stuff for me. Not like, you know, not like your experiences aren't necessarily, but they're a lot more meaningful to you than anybody else. Um, but when, when you get empirical evidence, that's another matter completely. So I really look forward to probably uh, perhaps uh, crossing paths at uh, one of these conferences or something at one point and putting my eyes on what you've collected over time. Okay, you bet. You bet. Happy to share. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right. You take care. Have a good one. Bye. Well, all right, Bobes. There you go, man. This long time coming. You've been telling me about them for a long time. I'm glad we finally got them on. Yeah, they're, they're not like publicity seekers. They're hard to, they're not looking to get on you know, camera or on the microphone. They're just doing their own thing and you kind of got to drag it out of them. Yeah, it sounds like they've got some really weird stuff going on too, which is great. I love weird things. I know a couple of the people that they've been going out with. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad they found a, a group of like-minded individuals that can go out and explore the woods and enjoy uh, whatever they're into together, you know, because that, that sure makes a big difference when you find people that you enjoy spending time with in the woods. And it seems like that's kind of what they're after. They're doing this for their own purposes, not for anybody else. And that's what I would encourage everyone to do, no matter what you're finding out there. Just make sure you're enjoying yourself. Because that's the easiest way to be successful at Bigfoot, if that's your goal. Enjoy yourself. They're definitely doing that. I mean, they got married. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, Bigfoot is the best matchmaker ever. I know it found me uh, Melissa, so I'm very thankful for that. And Sochi, by the way, too. But the fact that they get asked the same questions, like some of the questions were three times, at least two times, and they answered the same every time. That's the part that's just like, that blows me away. Though the universe is full of marvel and wonder. It certainly is. All right, Bob, do you have anything coming up you want to share? Uh, no. You're laying low doing the documentary thing, or you have anything going on? That's the only thing I'm doing Squatch-wise. Okay. So I've got one thing coming up that I know hasn't passed yet. I can plug a little bit. It's called the Bigfoot Rendezvous 22. It's in Pocatello on September 23rd and 24th, Pocatello, Idaho. Dr. Jeff Meldrum and I will be the speakers, and I'm not sure they have anybody. Oh, maybe Mark Marcel. I understand he's a possibility as well. I hope it is. I hope he's on the ticket because if so, that means I get to have a 13-hour car trip with Mark Marcel, and that sounds like a lot of fun. Lucky. Yeah, yeah. So September 24th out there in Pocatello, Idaho. And um, other than that, man, I'm just digging deep in the museum and trying to get to the woods a few more times before summer ends. All right, cool. All right, folks, that's it for this week. We appreciate you tuning in to Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. Thanks to our guests, Sandy and Kevin. Um, Hope you enjoyed it. And until next week, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 